don't be afraid to like jump in and interrupt us. Jan might get offended. I don't know, but I don't care. <laughs> so I- Welcome to Precon Geeks, the podcast where precon folks geek out on all things pre-construction. Every week, we'll talk about trends impacting the construction industry and emerging tech. You can also tune in to hear exclusive interviews with industry experts. Excited to hear more? Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts now and visit www.beck-technology.com. Welcome to Precon Geeks, your home for all things precon, brought to you by Beck Technology. I am your host, John Reich, and I am joined today by two titans of the industry, is what we'll call you today. Uh, uh, we've got uh, from one from Beck Tech, we've got Jan Barron. How are you doing, Jan? Pretty good. Always glad to be here, and it's always a surprise that I'm let back on. <laughs> hey, it's a surprise every week when they call me and say we're running another episode, <laughs> so not, not an issue. Uh, and then, so our, our second special guest is uh, Mr. Brent Pilgrim from the Beck Group. How are you doing Howdy. today, Brent? Good, good. Good to be here. So uh, just for everyone who's listening, let's uh, run through a little bit of background on you. Brent, do you mind giving us a little spiel about who you are and what you do? Sure thing. Um, National Preconstruction Director with the Beck Group. Um, have been with Beck since 2001. Traveled through Beck technology from 2006 to 2016. Um, was one of the uh, early super users of Destiny Profiler and fell in love with model-based estimating. And of course, with that product, it was all kind of macro level front-end estimating. And then in 2016, I wanted to really help the Beck Group as an organization implement Destiny Estimator. So I made my way back over and have been supporting our pre-construction teams ever since. So, and I also am going to toot your horn a little bit on this, is uh, you are a big proponent of the BIM Forum and a big participant in BIM Forum. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, when we started our Destiny Estimator implementation, we um, we started looking for a way to incorporate what we knew would be eventually the new generation of model-based estimating. So we knew that uh, Profiler wouldn't live forever as a tool, as a software, and um, we needed to start shifting our focus to something else. So we spent a couple of years trying to develop a new workflow that would work with Destiny Estimator. And of course that re- required using Revit as the model authoring engine. And so uh, we wanted to make it simple. We wanted to make it easy to use so that it would increase the likelihood of it being adopted. So we did that. And um, I, you know, we said, this, this is something that we wanna share with the industry. One thing that you may or may not know about the Beck Group is Peter's vision. Uh, from the beginning has always been to to really revolutionize the industry, right? And change the way the industry functions. And uh, Jan's always talking about how, how the industry's broken and we've got to do things differently. So it just, you know, it's something that has always made sense from that perspective. So we wanted to share that with uh, the industry and put it out there in a format that could be, um, you know, downloaded and adopted. So met with the BIM forum early on and said, look, we want to start a task force and and start to to create a vehicle, a guide that could um, standardize some of this information and, and put it in a format that would make it uh, in, in a format that people could download and, and use as a guide, almost something that could hold their hand as they're walking through it for the first time if they were looking to to implement this workflow. Awesome. 
Well, thank you for that breakdown of what you're doing over there. And just for you guys to know, we, that is going to be applicable a little bit because today we're going to be talking all about BIM and how to use it in pre-con. We had a recent blog post uh, that we put out that was the pros and cons of BIM use and estimating. And Jan and Brent were kind enough to debate the pros and cons. I'm not going to point fingers at who did what, but I'm willing to bet you can guess uh, just based on the background and what we're going to talk about. So uh, first off, can we just do a quick rehash of the pros and cons of them at a very high level? So Brent, can you present to your side in a very brief synopsis? Representing the pro side, huh? I'm not um, pointing fingers. I'm just letting <laughs> you riff. Well, you know, it's to me, um, the, the pros start with the communicability. I don't even know if that's a real word or not, but the communicability of a three dimensional model and the ability that that the model has as a universal form of communicating what's going on with the project. And so we, we know we that we that uh, have been in the industry for a while know that not everybody who comes into the AEC space can interpret two-dimensional documentation that's just that is a skill it's a it can be a skill that's practiced but there's also some natural ability to see 2d dimensional drawings and then um, convert that in your mind to 3d space so it's a spatial recognition kind of uh, skill right that not everyone's going to have so jumping to a three-dimensional model automatically gets us into a much more um, comprehensible man i'm making up words here all all, all day uh, comprehensible Okay, all right, good. One, so. Form of information. And of course, we all know that uh, building information modeling, the acronym has the I in the middle, which stands for information, which implies that it's more than just a model. There's there's information that can be gleaned from the objects in the model and used for other things. So, and that that's a whole other podcast in terms of what the I stands for, so. Jan, do you have? Uh, I know you have some thoughts on this. And, uh, <laughs> and j yeah. just, just to just to preface it, I know you're not con. I know you're not against using them. I just you're just presenting a, in your words, the realistic view of using them and estimating. They had to pay you to represent that side. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, yeah. Thanks for prefacing that, John. I was going to do much the same. That. I am very much a promoter of of uh, BIM. I I don't necessarily like the acronym. I think it's a poor description. Uh, I prefer VDC over BIM myself, but uh, you know that's parsing words at this point. Um, but I do see things from a slightly different perspective, and uh, uh, what uh, I'll just show my hand in that blog post. I accused Brent of seeing the situation through rose tinted glasses. <laughs> Um, Which I know, found he, hysterical, by the way. <laughs> good, good. It was it was meant to be a little tongue in cheek, um, but I did I did imagine you wearing rose tinted glasses like Elton John, and like it it, it works, it works. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, Brent comes with a wealth of background in a in an organization and a part in a segment of the industry that really can extract value out of this marriage between the design side and the construction side uh, where where pre-construction can really shine. Um, and the, the challenge that I see, the, the con, if there's a con um, in using uh, BIM for estimating, is the I. Uh, I that all-important I in BIM 
is is where things get hairy. Uh, yes, the the visual concept. Uh, I think most uh, designers are really good about producing nice visuals. That's what they went to school for, right? Uh, we as builders, uh, we come from a side of things where you you either do your best to fake the fact that you can't see three-dimensional objects looking at a two-dimensional set of drawings, or you're really good at it and you just look at drawings and you can imagine the building. Um, but the problem is, is that um, we're BIM, good BIM management, the LOD spec and, and that kind of a workflow um, really almost requires that the designers start to take on more of a builder's perspective to the project. And I think that's where a lot of the breakdown comes. Uh, it's it's not something that they are uh, innately wanting to do in their profession. You know, they became architects and engineers for a reason. Uh, uh, but uh, all of those all of those facets start to erode what uh, uh, the, what confidence the builders can have when they look at that model when it's received, whether it's designed in Tecla or whatever. Uh, you know, those are visual design tools. Uh, they're not in uh, their primary purpose is that that visual design aspect, and then secondary to that is all the information that can get carried along uh, with the model objects that support what we're doing downstream, and so. Uh, the confidence issue really breaks down when you're not in a in an environment where there's a, some sort of marriage between the architect and the builder to make this uh, integrated estimating workflow happen. Excellent, excellent points, Jan. Thank you for bringing those up. So I, I did want to make sure that we touched on specifically. We're, we don't want to rehash the entire blog post here. We just want to make sure you get an understanding of it. Um, but the one thing that really stuck out to me in this uh, when you guys were having this debate back and forth was the the concept of confidence in the model or confidence in the information you're getting, because to me that is the kind of keystone of unlocking them for use in precon. If we can get it where the precon professional can have, or at least in my opinion, if we get it where the precon professional can have confidence that what he's getting is going to be good. Uh, good, usable, quantifiable data that he can actually extract out of the model and uh, at specific milestones in the project get specific pieces of information. I think that unlocks all the technology pieces. We, like, Precon can figure out a way. I mean, they will clodge up and duct tape and put things together to make it work if they know it's reliable. And so to me, that's the key point that I want to try to hit on today. Do you, so I'm, do you guys have a solution for how we can instill confidence for the pre-con professional in the models that we get from the design side? Well, I think so, yes. And I'm sure Jan, when he's not playing the the counter argument, can can uh, add some he's, great... He's twirling his mustache back there yeah. right now. I want to touch on something, though, uh, to answer your question. I want to touch on a point that Jan made and and that, you know, there therein lies. The opportunity to change the industry, right? Um, to your point, Absolutely. John, yeah, yeah. To your point, John, yes, the pre-construction professional typically is uh, ready, willing and able to approach a problem. With a problem solving mindset, we're we're good at that. But the fact that they have to approach 
the the receipt of a of a model with an ad hoc strategy is where a lot of our opportunity uh, breaks down and falls apart, and that's where a lot of the trust is you know eroded. To, to Jan's point, so I do think there's an opportunity here, and, and a very realistic opportunity here, despite the fact that yes, uh, I, I am a part of a design build and integrated firm where. Perhaps we have we're in a better position to to pilot and pioneer some of these things, but um, my my goal would be to make something that could be scalable out to the rest of the industry. So sorry, I'm making this a little bit long winded, but therein lies the biggest opportunity. If we can solve that trust problem, so do do I think there's a solution? Yeah, the the integrated estimating workflow uh, was created to be an agnostic, a software agnostic workflow that really aims to without creating a special burden on the design team, it aims to create kind of a baseline level of quality, model quality that is needed from the design team. And if they're able to deliver that, our pre-construction teams will start to develop trust in the model that they're they're getting. So there it, it I don't want to I don't want to boil it all down to a model quality issue, but that's kind of the um Therein lies part of the answer to the problem there, and that and the integrated estimating workflow works to to help address that particular issue. That's a good point, Brent. I think there are, uh, you know, focusing on model quality. That's obviously uh, what where a lot of the reticence to just take the model from the architect, take the model from the engineer, and just run with it for estimating or scheduling anything that's being done in precon. Uh, because there is a lot of consternation or concern or, you know, they assume that because it looks good that it's complete. And then as you start uh, working with the model, extracting quantities and whatnot, you start to realize they just used the basic wall type for every stinking object in this uh, in this model. And there's not, you know, I can't sort it out. I can't filter things uh, the way. It, and so those types of things uh, erode trust pretty quickly. But I also think um, taking off my cons hat for a moment, that that's unnecessary. Um, you know, having come from a different side of the industry where uh, we did not have an integrated uh, internal design partner, uh, you know, we were constantly working with different uh, architectural and engineering firms on all of our projects and, and a variety of projects. Um, I was able to. Uh, this might sound a little bad, but I was able to take those models and work with them in estimating um, as long as I was willing to maybe lower my expectations a little bit. Uh, but when you think about it, builders complain about the 2D set of drawings. Uh, it doesn't matter what phase of development we're in, they're always blaming the architect for missing something, goofing something up, specs aren't written right. Like estimators are going to complain. That's just part of our nature. Uh, and so if you uh, if you go into uh, the model consumption aspect uh, with that same level of like, yeah, I'm going to be able to use a fair amount of this, but I also recognize that they're architects, not builders, and so I shouldn't expect it to be modeled the way I would see it. I think then you can start to uh, to work with it and even have maybe a modified, you know, uh, somewhat consistent ad hoc approach to consuming the model and, and working toward a more integrated uh, method. And that actually enabled me personally to 
consume the model. And of course, with uh, the Destiny application, I was able to uh, d directly connect our estimate to the model and then actually take that to project meetings and show the uh, show the architects you know how much their design was costing in very real tangible ways for them and that start just having those visuals live connected to the cost estimate enabled us to have conversations about you know making further steps down the path of a more integrated approach that might layer on some additional asks for them in future projects but it was opening doors to those conversations. Mm -hmm. So I, I do have a question for you guys, because I know Brent brought up the model quality label quite a bit. And and Jan, you touched on it too, is that every issuance it's. We com estimators complain about drawings aren't complete, drawings aren't done. So to me, is that a. Model quality issue, uh, so is, is the model itself, even when they're complete, is it just not done correctly? Or is it really more of a misaligned expectation as to what information is going to be there? Because in my experience, it's always been. We expect every estimator expects more data than what should be expected at SD at DD. And if you if you actually look at the definition of schematic design or de design development drawings. Like we shouldn't be able to generate a full detailed estimate off of it. We are going to have to infer some things and so. Uh, I think the same applies for models is that just because they show a picture that renders well on the owner presentation doesn't mean they've thought through any of the connection details or anything like that. So is it should we need to lower our expectations or is it really just we need to hold firm to what we think we should be getting? Man, every every architect that's listening to right now just jumped out of their chair screaming in a, a big thank you to John uh, for that. <laughs> that's that's me. I'm I'm the voice of the architect in this argument. So. <laughs> they no, also I, jumped I think... out screaming for that comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, now they're all sitting down. It's okay. Uh, I, I do th I do think it's a little bit of both. I think there's uh, there from the from the design authors the model authors point of, uh, uh there needs to be a little bit more uh ownership or stewardship of the uh, of the eye and vim uh, that goes along with their model uh, but i i do think that uh on the downstream use consumers of that model we need to be more realistic about what we one what we actually need, I think, is the biggest part. Like, what do you really need to get the job done at CD, uh, conceptual SD, DD, CD? Um, and then, uh, but also to recognize that just because they didn't label the, you know, this one element of the model uh, properly, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's still plenty of available data there. Um, you know, it's like, when when taking off you know div 10 specialties no architect ever draws the blocking that goes uh, behind anything that's hung from the wall but we all know it's there it's an inferred property of the project based on other information that we have so use that same principle of inferring what should be there in the model and apply that to your your consumption of it yeah totally yeah, agree. that's that that applies on 2D as well. I mean, just to yep. be clear, that's that's mm -hmm. not a model issue. That's yeah, it's nothing new. It's estimating issue. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, John, uh, totally agree with with those comments, and maybe I'll just reinforce real quick. 
the the information side of it, you know, quality is a label I think that can be applied to both of those gaps we just identified. The the gap around the information and the parameters and properties of an object, and then the the what's not there, what's not being modeled, is is an issue of quality as well. But it's not an issue of what well, you should have designed. You should have modeled something that's not there. It's are we all operating under the same premise that we're at schematic design or we're at conceptual design? And I'm expecting, you know, I'm expecting model elements to be modeled at an LOD 200 or something to that effect, uh, right? And I'm not expecting this super detailed model. So maybe around expectations too is a is how that quality label can apply also. Now that since you brought up LOD, I want to jump into that real quick because uh, I do. My personal feeling is that rather than adopting rather than going by the standard sd dd whatever i mean sorry but those designations are pretty much garbage we can like no one actually abides by the aia standards and even if they did they're not really useful for anyone outside of an architect to be frank um i know the contracts are written around that but if we made a shift and magically said we're going to write all our contracts around LOD specifications. Do you think that would? How far do you think that would go towards solving this issue of reliance on the model? A lot, a lot, because now we can talk about the scopes of work being represented by the model and to what level of development we need them to be represented, right? So perhaps at a conceptual level, just to, to use traditional terminology, um, we just need a mass model that has uh, floor slabs that represent the general shape and size of the floor slabs and, and capture the overall gross area of the project. And and Jan used the uh, comment earlier around a basic wall. You know, we don't need a fully detailed componentized wall that has a finished material for the brick and a, and a layer for the studs and a layer for the uh, waterproofing. We just need a wall that's indicated clearly that it's a it's a brick on metal stud wall and then our our expertise as pre-construction professionals can go infer the what's between the you know what's between the the modeled elements and what's not so yeah i think that's granted getting contracts to shift from a 2d set that you're going to get every three or four months to a model update that you're going to get every two weeks that's that's going to be a big shift. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that piece of it. But so, Jane, did you have any uh, parting thoughts you wanted to throw out there before we wrap it up for the day? Well, yeah, a little bit uh, more of a feeling out. And this could be for you, John or Brent. Um, in my uh, in the article, the, the blog post that we co-authored, uh, I pointed out the adversarial nature that uh, the uh, design and construction industry has been kind of pigeonholed into or written into through case law and litigation and whatnot over the decades uh, and pointed out until there's some sort of contractual obligation for collaboration. Like, uh, I don't, I, I'm I'm a lot more pessimistic on the, the scale of adoption we're going to see in the next 10 years, uh, the, like integrating LOD spec and things like that to a normal workflow. And so I was curious because I made a point of until collaboration is a measurable contract deliverable, um, I didn't. I obviously didn't provide any ideas on what I thought that measurable contract deliverable could be for collaboration. I was wondering if we could maybe plant some seeds or help frame people's minds on what 
could a deliverable look like that actually measures collaboration with the project team? Oh, wow. That, <laughs> that one actually might, we might have to pull this back out and run that as a separate topic on the podcast another time. I mean, I have some some real good thoughts, I, at least I have thoughts. I don't know if they're real good, but I have a lot. It of is thoughts. a great question, nonetheless, yes. Is it a short list that you could rattle off quickly, John? We could use that as a teaser for a future episode. Sure. Um, yeah, so actually it's funny because uh, I went through two project cycles where we were went through a selection process and one of the selection criteria we went through and the, the client, if they hear this, they're going to know exactly what I'm talking about. It was a request for collaboration and it was the weirdest process we've ever, I've ever been through. We did a normal RFP response. And then they took it down to two parties and we had to go into design meetings and we went to a series of design meetings together and they really looked at us and how we interacted with the architecture team designing the project and how we interacted with the user groups who were asking questions. And I was not privy to the scoring. I know we got the job, which was awesome, but um, I don't know how they scored it, but I think that that it's it's a much different process because you're you're gauging everyone on soft skills rather than okay show me your GC rate show me your fees show me your numbers show me your even the you know historical uh, jobs that you've done show me all your experience this isn't about any of that it's about show me how you're going to work with other people show me how you're going to relate to um, a difficult situation so show me how you're going to respond to a disagreement with another party and how you gauge that i good luck with that one i mean if you figure that one out i think that <laughs> might actually be that might actually preempt the, the bim lod uh specifications as the secret sauce of how to solve this i don't know well Brent, um solve it please <laughs> okay i'll get to work on that <laughs> we can just uh sign it sign us up and every owner can go to a request for collaboration we can be done with it but uh all right. Well, thank you guys very much for coming out and talking to us today about this. Like I said, we might have to run this back to to keep kicking the tires on this one because uh, I think this is a is a uh, very fruitful pay dirt that we if we can figure this one out, it'd be it'd be good for everyone. So yeah, definitely. So uh, for anyone listening, if you guys are interested, you can always go to our website www.beck-technology.com. And uh, find information on our blog, find information on the on the uh, community pages that we've got there and submit community topics uh, for the podcast. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or have a topic you want us to talk about, you can email us at precongeek at beck-technology.com. Uh, but hope you guys have a great one. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you guys for coming out again and uh, have a good one, everyone. Yeah, thank you guys. See ya. Thank you.